Hello, my magical friends. My name's Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 134th time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. We have some news and things I've watched, and then we'll get to today's topic. So let's get started. A first announcement about the podcast. So today we have our penultimate episode of the year. So next week we do have our usual creator episode to round off the cycle. And after that, I've decided that we're going to take a little break at the last week of the year. So the first episode of the new year will be episode 136 on January 3rd. So, you know, take that week off to uh, catch up or listen to other podcasts or or what have you. (laughs) In other news, actual personal news, I wrote another article about magical girls. In particular, I wrote an article for Anime Feminist about Tropical Rouge Precure and in particular about how it approaches the topic of makeup and mermaids in a feminist way. And I just think, um, you know, there are probably a few listeners that would be interested in that article. So please check it out if you can. I'll put a link in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much again to Anime Feminist for letting me publish the article with them because it was a lot of fun to work with their editors and so on. Can't wait to write more. <laughs> in magical news, regular magical news, The Owl House Season 3 is going to continue in January with their next special for the future. So this is going to debut on Saturday, January 21st at 9 p.m. So time zones unclear, but probably based on your own time zone in the U.S., you can guess which applies to you. (laughs) Next in the news, the comic Magical Girl Riska, which is published in Besatsu Shonen magazine from Kodansha, is taking a break as the artist, now Emoto, is currently on maternity leave. So this comic, which is adapted from the novels of the same name, is going on break until next spring. We don't know exactly when. Certainly childcare is is a difficult thing to plan for. So, you know, it'll come back when it comes back. (laughs) Finally, this is slight news, not a big thing, but interesting. So Mermaid Melody, Pitchy Pitchy Pitch, the animated series rather than the comic that it's adapting, originally debuted in April of 2003. So an official account was made over on Twitter for the 20th anniversary as it approaches next year. Now, this doesn't really quite mean anything. The account is labeled as being for the promotion of events and merchandise. But the fact that they tweeted out an announcement in English of the account's existence got a lot of people really, uh, really excited. (laughs) And I do want to say I don't think that this is inherently indicative of the potential for a reboot, etc. Or something regarding Aqua. But, you know, it's something and it's interesting. So, yeah. But that's all for news. So let's move on to what I've been watching. (laughs) So first, of course, we have, as always, Delicious Party Precure this week, which was a lot of fun. It's been really exciting as we get more into the lore and so on. But this episode was still pretty character focused. 
In terms of the, the, the coming episodes, we do have some titles dropped from the usual monthly pre-cure announcements in Nakashi Magazine. So with that in mind, I'm very excited for what's to come for the rest of the month and also very excited for our finale. You know, a lot of mysteries are about to be uncovered and it's very exciting. And of course, um, we are actually going to end up having a three-week news break, basically. So the next time that we do have a new segment on the podcast, we might actually finally know a lot more information about Hidogaru Sky Pre-Gear. So we'll be definitely looking forward to seeing what the new season brings us. <laughs> and next, still in the Pre-Gear world, I did finish my rewatch of Tropical Rouge Pre-Gear. Of course, I had watched the series as it was airing last year, uh, up until early this year. But it was really fun to revisit it with, you know, kind of fresh eyes. It's just such a delightful season again. So it was really nice to to see um, this kind of uh, really, you know, appreciate the, the way the story was written and so on. Especially considering this was another season that was a little bit shorter. So there was less time to to devote to the story. And finally, I finished rewatching Police Heroine Love Patrina. So this is the fourth season of the Girls Heroine franchise, the Tokusatsu Magical Girl series. And I think that the first time I watched this season, I was really, really apprehensive because of the police theme. But going into it a second time and understanding what it really was, I felt that I was able to enjoy it a lot more. And so, yeah, I had a really great time. I still haven't watched any of the girls heroine movies. I should say either girls heroine movies because there are only two. With all of that, I think we're finally finished. So let's get on to today's topic. So we are ending off this year with the final TV series we discussed being a little bit of an unusual one, but I really like these kinds of episodes as well. We are going to be talking today about the Magical Boy series, DNA Angel. And if you're wondering about whether or not this was officially classified as a Magical Boy series, I don't think so. But frankly, I don't care. And neither did my guest, <laughs> Shan Smith, who was a really delightful chat. I knew of Shan mostly through their sibling, John, who is also a former guest of the podcast. But it was really, really nice to get to know Shan and, you know, talk about this series in the context of Magical Girls, because I do think that it is something to examine, especially because it is a series for girls, but despite the fact that it's featuring boy characters. And yeah, I think that it turned out to be a very fun, very delightful conversation. But some warnings needed. So if you are watching the series for the first time, or if you're going into this conversation blind, please be aware, you know, there is quite a bit of sexism in this season, particularly, you know, misogyny, that is a bit outdated and unfortunate. And also, we have a case of a really weird uh, romantic age gap. So please keep that in mind. As we get into the conversation. Otherwise, sit back and relax, and please enjoy this conversation with Shen Smith about D and Angel. So we are 
here to talk about the magical boy series Dean Angel, which originally aired in 2003, adapted from the comic of the same name by Yukiru Sugisaki, which didn't end until 2021. And、uh, for today's episode, we are bringing on a new guest. So, can you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Shan.、Uh, my pronouns are they, them, and I am a,、uh, a tabletop game designer. And very, very recent Magical Girl fan in terms of、uh, Magical Girl fandom. And it's all because of my sibling who's been on the show. <laughs> yes, this is the first time that we've had like siblings on the show separately. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so let's get started right there. So, what is your history with the Magical Girl genre?、Um, it's always been something that's been a part of my life. Because I grew up watching like the original Sailor Moon dub and stuff like that. But I didn't get super in depth into the magical girl genre until after I watched、um, Madoka. And then I, I actually went the opposite direction. I didn't go into like the dark magical girl stuff, but I did start getting into like magical girl history videos on YouTube, which led me to start watching a bunch of new stuff. So I've watched Ojimajo, Cardcaptor. Princess Tutu, just really as many non dark magical girl things I could find.、Hmm. And also,、uh, my kind of love for the genre has evolved into this tabletop RPG that I'm making about specifically like little witch magical girl shows like Ojimajo, Sally the Witch, etc. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, definitely want to hear more about that. But, um, Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you kind of got into things a little late. And I'm very amused by the fact that you've labeled Princess Tutu a non dark magical girl series, because I think that could be、uh, debated. <laughs> But yeah, I guess so, in terms of like more、uh, recent things, like you've listed a lot of stuff that's not like super old, but it's like a little old compared to what's out these days. So, do you interact with any of like the new stuff that comes out or anything like that? Um, I've started to get into Pretty Cure with my sibling because they watch it almost immediately. Anytime it like, drops on, I think they watch it on Crunchyroll.、Um, mm -hmm. I try and watch it with them as much as I can.、Um, I also read.、Um, this is a dark magical girl thing that I do read, which is Sleepless Domain. It's one of my favorites.、Mm -hmm. When it comes to shows, I think I've kind of gravitated much more towards the older stuff. I haven't watched a lot of. The more recent things.、Mm. But I'm also kind of a baby with this genre. Like, there's so many things that I know I want to watch、mm -hmm. that I just haven't really been able to because I'm doing a lot. My job is really, really demanding. So I don't get to watch <laughs> as many things as I want. Sure, sure. So, is there anything that like, you want to watch the most?、Mm. Hold on. I actually do have. A list that I can <laughs>、oh, pull up. Okay. Oh, the new Tokyo Mew Mew is. I've watched like the first like four episodes, and that's something that I desperately want to finish because、mm. I watched it and it was so beautifully bonkers in the coolest way. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Have you interacted with any of like the originals? Just like 
totally new for you? This is totally new for me because my sibling was like, I, you should watch the new thing first and get really attached to the concept and then go back and watch the old one because the old one can get kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> They're not Which... wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, there's just a lot of stuff that I really need to finish like we started watching which again this isn't super modern this is like nine years old but um little witch academia is something Mm -hmm. that i've started but haven't finished there is some dark magical girl stuff that my sibling keeps trying to push on me not because (laughs) they think they're like incredible but they're just like if you're gonna get into magical girls and make magical girl content you've got to watch it all so Mm -hmm. interesting that is something that they're trying to push on me I'm pushing back, though, because some of it I just can't deal with. Mm. The new Sailor Moon movies, I'm really excited for those to come out. I watched most of Crystal and most of the new stuff, Mm -hmm. except for, like, the first season, because apparently that was bad, and I was told by a bunch of people that (laughs) the first season of Crystal's really bad, so I've avoided that. And Mm. other than that, I'm also just trying to really get into Pretty Cure, because that seems... Probably, like, one of the biggest shows ever Um, when it comes to specifically, like, I guess I always call them battle magical girls. Because that doesn't encompass the entire magical girl genre, but Mm -hmm. it's obviously super big. Yeah, um, they're usually called in Japanese, like, henshin heroin, so, like, transforming heroine or battle heroine shows, specifically. Mm -hmm. But you're right, it's not like the whole genre, but it's it's a big part of it, especially these days. <laughs> and yes, Precure is, when it comes to kids shows, it is the number one dominating thing. Um, nothing has it been able to compete so far <laughs> in its almost uh, <laughs> 20-year run, so it's pretty impressive. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, getting into Dean Angel specifically. So of course, this was an interesting thing to bring up as a topic because it's not necessarily something that people usually think about in terms of this genre, but I do think that it definitely qualifies. Like Daisuke and also like Satoshi are in a way magical boys, even if they don't necessarily fit all the things that like you might imagine when you hear that phrase. And I do think that it's interesting that this, you know, was done at a time when there were so many different magical girl series, some of them also including boys that were totally serious. And I think there are a lot of aspects uh, thematically about the series that are really um, kind of also something that we see a lot in magical girl series. So for anyone who has not gotten to check out Dean Angel, it's actually quite a short series. Uh, it's only 26 episodes. So it's a pretty easy watch, but a lot happens. <laughs> but basically, it stars Daisuke Niwa, who is a 14-year-old boy. He literally, the first episode is his 14th birthday. And he decides he's going to confess to his crush, Risa Harada. And that doesn't go well. <laughs> also, at the same time, it looks like he's been training basically his whole childhood for what looks like spy work. And it turns out that the reason for this is because he possesses inside him the the spirit of Dark Mousy, who is a, a legendary phantom thief. So basically, it's not every day, but every time that they need to steal something, and it's typically just like a piece of artwork from around town... Dark will take over Daisuke's body when Daisuke thinks about the girl he likes. That's like the trigger for the, the whole transformation. 
And once he steals it, then he can go back to being Daisuke. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, the boy at school, Satoshi Hiwatari, has his eyes set on Daisuke as well. And he has another entity inside him named Krad, who is basically the opposite of Dark. <laughs> and along all of this, there's also a lot of uh, romantic drama involving these two and also with Risa and also Risa's twin sister, Riku. But yeah, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, so what is your history with this series? This series was actually, uh, like the comic series, the manga, was the first exposure to any kind of Japanese media that I ever had. My cousin, when I was like a, when I was like a little kid had like the first two volumes of the manga and I read it and I loved it. And then she went and she bought like the actual box set back when they used to set, like there used to be a hobby shop in my hometown in Arkansas that would get just tons of different like dubbed anime box sets from like as much as they could get. And we watched the, I remember watching the entire series and just really, really loving it. And then that honestly led me to watching a lot more um, shonen stuff. So uh, I went from that to Naruto and Bleach, but I wouldn't have gotten into anime as much as I had if not for DNA Angel, like both the anime and the manga. So it really was a formative piece of media in my life, I would say. Hmm. It's very interesting that you said this series got you into boy series because this is technically for girls. <laughs> it is a girls series. It is published. It was published in a girls magazine, Monthly Asuka. So it is. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fascinating because for me, it's like very clearly like even though, of course, the main characters are boys. For me, it's a very clearly a girls series, I think, especially because of the way it handles the relationships and romance and so on. But this led you to to boys series, which is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's really weird because I remember at the time really vibing with it, but I didn't understand what I was vibing with. Mm. Um, and after watching the show, I kind of <laughs> realized I was just vibing with the kind of intense queer subtext that exists <laughs> in it, either by accident or not. Mm -hmm. And. My attuning to that, I guess, kind of led me to seeing that in a lot of the boy series that I started watching because I got really into Naruto because I really liked Naruto and Sasuke's dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> I got really into Bleach because of Ichigo and Uryu's dynamic. It just kind of got me very into <laughs> the really cool, sweet main character... <laughs> being in this weird one-sided potentially one-sided romance with these kind of like cold not emotionless but kind of perpetually angry uh kind of pro like semi-antagonists hmm. and yeah i think that's what it was because i didn't get into shoujo until i started to really watch stuff like fruits basket Mm -hmm. uh and or on high school host club and i didn't start watching those until years later when i was a teen because mm. this was all happening when i was like nine or ten i want to say hmm interesting yeah 
I could definitely see that as being like, you didn't necessarily realize or pick up on the subtext at the time. You probably were taking it in, but didn't like have words for it or something. Um, I could definitely see that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I guess, have you kind of uh, connected back with the comic since then? I know um, as far as the translation goes, not all of it has been translated. Again, like they did finally finish the series in 2021 after two hiatuses. So I know there's still stuff left to be translated, but like, have you continued on or like, yeah, have you read past what is in this series? I haven't been able to read past volume 13. Um, I've tried to find like fan translations online Mm -hmm. of the stuff later on, Um, but it's really, it's, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. The last thing that I remember reading was in the show, not in the show, in the comic, there's this plot line where Daisuke and Dark have to each go on a date with one of the twins. And Dark is going, I think, going on a date with um, Risa and Daisuke is going on a date with Riku. I'm not sure. It might be reversed. But it's like it's this whole comedy of errors between mm-hmm. those two doing that. I do remember the manga being very different from the anime itself. Like they because there was so little of it like completed by the time the show was getting made, I think there was a lot of stuff that they kinda had to just change around. Mm-hmm. Super common for, for these kinds of shows. Mm-hmm. But it still it still holds up, and I think it holds up on its own, on its own really well, um, mm-hmm. despite kind of losing the manga's guidance. I think if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. So the comic did start back in ninety um, seven. So I feel so happy for Sugisaki that they're able to finish this comic because that's a long yeah. that's a long time to be making anything. But yeah, so there wasn't like a whole lot available to work with, I guess, because it it was a monthly magazine. But there's interesting stuff going on. There's also like, you know, a major character who was only in the series. Um, But yeah, just generally like it's a good time. I think that it works for a standalone piece of like fiction, though. I, I would say that it kind of does feel like there's still more to come. And that makes sense because they're literally was so yeah it's it's a pretty fascinating series from what I remember I believe I was watching it I don't know if it was like as it was coming out but it definitely was doing the whole thing of like watching stuff on YouTube and several parts with friends yeah I want to say it was in high school so it was a little bit after it came out but one thing I remember for sure was just everyone eating up the subtext for sure at that time because like (laughs) Everyone would like talk about like their fan theory stuff and we would go online uh, to read fan fiction and so on. So it's just, there's a lot of that <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Despite the fact that like technically the main romances are between uh, boys and girls and then there's dark, which we'll get into later. <laughs> yeah. So who would you say are like your favorite characters or the characters that like stick out for you in this series? Um, I love... Daisuke's mom. <laughs> I just think that she is... I loved her storyline, especially in, in the show. Her background of, like, desperately wanting to be a phantom thief, but not being allowed to because she was born a girl in this family, and that's just not how it works for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then 
I know that she's problematic, and I know that she's not the coolest, but I... Mio Hio really came and reinvigorated the show for me. Because <laughs> I watched the dub uh, when I was catching back up, and the dub of her is so beautifully bizarre mm-hmm. and really added a lot of layers to her that I had completely like overlooked when I originally watched this. I think she wound, she round the bases of becoming a kind of redeemed villain character, but I still really, really don't like um, the way, I don't like anything else about her <laughs> because they really, it's just, it's really dark what they uh, created and put in the show at, for Mio Hio. Mm. But yeah, and then I'm a really big Hiwatari stan. I love Hiwatari. I didn't expect to love him as much as I did when I watched this, because when I originally watched it, I was um, still coming into my own as a queer person, so a lot of the subtext I was really kind of pushing back against almost. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I remember when I was a kid being like, I need to think that Hiwatari is boring, otherwise who knows what this means about me. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I don't know, I watched it this time, and I was like, man, I really feel for Huatari. Because to me, it feels like such a one-sided romance between him and Daisuke. Mm-hmm. And I, fe- I really felt for him. I was like, I know what this is. I know what being in love with your uh, cute, stupid best friend is like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> Those three are my favorites, I would say, in the entire mm-hmm. show. I do think there's a lot that could be said about, like, the the weird roles and and stuff and if, you know it goes without saying that like the whole gender stuff especially with uh with Emiko right Daisuke's mother is very you know very outdated very like not accurate to whatever so yeah there's that but you know it was very interesting to see like how um you know when you kind of put all the pieces together it's like oh yeah this kind of makes sense for like she's doing what she wants within the structure the framework that she has been like forced to have it does you know it does kind of suck that she can't be dark that would be cool you know but whatever (laughs) i guess (laughs) but yeah she definitely was like very very passionate about being the mother of dark which is kind of funny so yeah i think it's also you know very interesting to see like how daisuke is kind of put in this position where like he did train to like do kind of cool spy stuff basically at their house and whatever but he doesn't really want to do any of this phantom thief stuff and he doesn't really have a choice because it's literally in his DNA. It's very interesting to see how he handles it and how he like grows to accept it and and so on. And also like is very, very incredibly aware of his own feelings because of that also. But yeah. So I guess in terms of like actual like main story stuff, basically the beginning for me is like pretty... Like you kind of start to expect the same things every week with with each episode of like, okay, here's the new thing they have to go after. And we're going to work on some other stuff with the feelings. Because like one thing that's like really big for Daisuke is him becoming more in touch with his feelings. He kind of starts to figure out maybe he doesn't actually like Rudisa the way he thought he did. It doesn't help that like through a really weird comedy of errors, he ends up as dark kissing riku her twin sister in the first episode just like whoa what's happening (laughs) (laughs) the drama is messy in a in a very fun way i feel like in this series 
And actually, another thing that I should mention is I was surprised rewatching the series because it's been quite a while that like Karad shows up very early in the series. Yeah. Like he first shows up in episode four. For some reason, I expected that to be a lot later as like a surprise kind of thing. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, it was. I remember like in this recent rewatch getting to that point and being like, man, what a choice to have him show up so soon and so and so like brazenly, I guess, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like it wasn't a final reveal. He like showed up as kind of the antagonist of that episode and it yeah. was intense. I remember feeling a really specific kind of way hearing Huatari kind of arguing with Crad and like begging him not to show himself yet. Mm-hmm. It really hit me in a real in an emotional space because mm-hmm. It just reminded me about gay feelings. It reminded mm-hmm. me about being, it reminded me of being back in middle school and having a crush on someone and being like, man, I really don't want to have this crush right now. Can we chill? <laughs> <laughs> that got me super interested in where Hiwatari's storyline was going to go from there mm-hmm. because we were really going to kind of see, kind of, and there is a weird plot moment where he disappears for however many episodes and i i feel like there could have been different choices made there mm-hmm. but um it got me really really invested in his storyline as well as dice case which i kind of mm-hmm. appreciated it was different it was it was unexpected and i was immediately like i need to know how the crad storyline uh resolves plus his name was crad and i remember I laughed out loud so hard when I realized it was dark spelled backwards. I was like, this is incredible. This yes. is the best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, it's such a funny, like, simple thing, but it works so well. Because, you know, it's one of those things that's, like, not necessarily always going to actually read for, for the main audience, I guess. But, like, yeah, it's it's a very simple choice, but it works. And you can see, like, from the beginning... You know, the relationship between Satoshi and Krat is so different from between Daisuke and Dark. Also, like, Krat is such a ridiculously aggressive character and looks in so many ways like quite the opposite of, of Dark. You know, he has, like, blonde hair as opposed to black hair. He has white wings. He wears all white. He, so he looks, for all intents and purposes, like an angel, but just is just absolutely brutal and doesn't seem to actually have any sort of care for for Satoshi who like he lives inside basically and it is unfortunate we don't really get to see a lot of time with that because Daisuke is the main character so his feelings are unfortunately more centered but yeah it would be interesting I think you know if this is the kind of series that could potentially get some sort of reboot in animated form now that the series is finished, it would be interesting to see if they would actually take more time to to kind of focus on his, uh, like, just him in general, really. So as far as, like, regular, like, heist episodes go, do you have any particular favorites? Oh, my favorite probably has to be the, um, one of the, like, really early ones. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. I think it was probably what they were trying to steal in episode four when Crad like popped up. Um, I just remember. Oh no, it wasn't that. It was the really. It was. It wasn't that at all. I'm lying. 
my favorite quote unquote heist was um, what Daisuke did for his mom's birthday, <laughs> which was because <laughs> I very thought, cute. yeah, I thought that was so cute, and I was like, wow, Daisuke really cares about his mom, and that's <laughs> really nice. Yeah, and then because yeah. it also endeared me to Dark in a way that the show hadn't really done yet, hmm. because it showed. It, to me, that was when I got I got the sense that he was a fully realized character who, like, feels for the people that he works around and has a kind of emotional understanding of not just Daisuke, who, you know, of course he does because they share a body, but, like, he's aware of Daisuke's mom. He knows Daisuke's mom really well. He knows the Niwa family really well, and he cares about them. And that episode really showed that for me. And I think that's what I love so much about it. Mm -hmm. Plus, it was just, I think that's the episode where you really get the sense of like the mom's connection to the family. And it is super dated. But I liked that we got to kind of explore a little bit what her feelings and emotions are kind of being almost this matriarch of the family and how she kind of didn't really want to be she wanted to be the phantom thief that got to go around and do all the heists and do all of the stuff that she really was interested in but she wasn't so she kind of begrudgingly accepted her position and she's finding joy in it which again not saying (laughs) that that's great but it's definitely in Mm -hmm. my mind an interesting an interesting character yeah that I appreciated getting to see kind of like what her mindset was and how much she loves Daisuke. There's just, there's a lot of love in this show. There's a lot of celebration of different types of love in this show. Yeah. uh, That I really appreciate. Yeah, for sure. Because this episode, it's like, you know, she can't be dark, but she is definitely very enthusiastic about sending out any um, notices about what dark is going to steal and anything that she can do to basically act for dark is very fun um for her so she she's always doing that so she gets so upset that like some fake dark notice is out there saying that he's gonna steal the heart of the world's number one lady and like it's very funny because there's a whole thing also where like the police station is just full of calls from women saying like oh my god dark is gonna steal my heart it's (laughs) very fun it's very silly but it just uh kind of shows the effect of dark like as a legend in the series if that makes sense like it's it's very yeah yeah. (laughs) it's very interesting (laughs) and yeah so that is that is definitely a a cute episode a little silly compared to some of the other stuff that he has to do because some of them get very serious very like sometimes like borderline deadly and stuff and especially if you know satoshi's trying to to catch them or whatever it gets pretty dangerous and then because Udisa has decided she's in love with Dark, she's like, oh, I finally understand love. And I'm in love with this <laughs> fandom thief that just started showing up. Um, this is definitely real love. So she's like starting to try to meet up with him when he's going to steal things, which is like so ridiculously dangerous. But it's also like, OK, she's a teenage girl. This is definitely some teenage girl behavior. <laughs> just absolutely ridiculous. And, and she got in there like she mm-hmm. got in there multiple times. She she owned it like she was like no i'm gonna meet my my tall winged boyfriend and we're going (laughs) to have a beautiful evening together and i don't care if the police catch me because they won't because i am risa harada 
Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. Oh, we should probably point out, because uh, we haven't mentioned him yet, but, you know, the reason that Dark has wings is because he has a little companion friend named With, who's very cute and is kind of like a little bunny and even falls in love with a bunny in an episode. So, um, yeah, just shout out to With because With is, is precious and adorable. I love <laughs> With so much. Yeah. Truly, like... And also, the fact that With turns into Dark's wings is so insane to me in the best way because there's no rhyme or reason to it. He mm-hmm. doesn't look like he turned into a set of, like, blackish, purple, like, angel wings that affix yeah. themselves to Dark's back, but he does. Mm-hmm. And we accept it because he's the best. <laughs> yeah, and he also has the ability to turn into Daisuke if he needs someone to <sighs> fill in for him, which also leads to some very silly episodes, <laughs> including the beginning of the uh, the kind of budding romance between Daisuke and Riku, which is very good. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the storyline of, like, with and Riku... It's very interesting because I didn't know, I don't know Japanese at all. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to learn Japanese, but um, I remember in the comic, because they lifted it directly from the uh, manga, and he, apparent is Daisuke close to I love you in Japanese? Because that's yes. what they used to say in the manga. Yes, okay. yes. So Daisuke is, I mean, it's a real like boy's name, but it sounds very close to Daisuke, which is, yeah, like saying I love Cause, you. Yeah, because I loved it because I was like, oh man, <laughs> that sucks for you, Daisuke. You have, you're trying to get your little rabbit friend to be you for a day. And the only thing he can say is a really bad version of your name. And it's just, it's <laughs> so good. I love it so much. Yeah, it's very silly, very fun. Again, definitely very like girls comic shenanigans, especially for, for romance. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to continue to kind of the the second half of the series, but I want to put in a a spoiler point here. Just for anyone who hasn't watched yet, please do. I haven't actually watched the English dub myself, but if you watch it, I, I assume it was pretty decent. So whatever you have access to. <laughs> so the, the kind of mid-season finale is uh, episode 13. Let's see. So we get like this interesting situation where like Satoshi kind of finally gets one up on on Daisuke and I think he's tended to just steal Dark's soul specifically out of Daisuke's body but it's a whole bunch of shenanigans and ends up also affecting Risa and Takeshi who we haven't mentioned but is Daisuke's friend who um, is very interested in the constant news and uh, and so on of uh, of Dark Mousy but um <laughs> you know he ends up having to team up with a new character Toa who is a very cute sometimes a bird sometimes a full grown woman but um <laughs> yeah it's a very interesting kind of episode of course it works out in the end but it is an interesting kind of big episode cuz like Satoshi is stepping up a bit and then we also get like new backstory and new characters and then one more new character that we have to mention, you you already kind of named up her already, but um, Mio, who shows up in episode 14, is a new character uh, in Daisuke's class who is uh, said to be a foreign student or uh, lived abroad. In the Japanese version, she speaks an interesting mix of English and Japanese that like kind of 
doesn't even necessarily always make sense. And sometimes she tries to claim that she doesn't know any Japanese when it's convenient <laughs> for her. But she like immediately clings on to Daisuke and becomes a kind of problem for the girls that are interested in him. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mio, Mio Hio, Mio Hio. I, I have to talk about just the dub specific side of her just for a second. Sure. So back to the voice acting. The voice acting is very like early like in terms of there are some there are some performances that are absolutely amazing and you can tell because you hear these people they show up in a bunch of different dubs kind of later on Mm -hmm. the actress that plays Mio Hio makes the absolutely incredible choice of giving her a fake valley girl accent huh interesting whenever she's speaking to Daisuke and whenever she's being a student and until you find out what her backstory is, like what the surprise is, you think, wow, this is what this person sounds like. And then you find out that it isn't. And it's all part of the character that she's playing. And I was absolutely gagged when it was <laughs> revealed because I completely forgotten about Mio as a character When I was a kid, because she just didn't, I guess she just didn't register as that important to me compared to the other characters that I was interested in. But Mm -hmm. I was, I kind of latched onto her. I was like, because as a rival character, she's so bizarre when put up against like Riku and Risa, because she's so incredibly different. Yeah. And her like kind of zeroing in on Daisuke immediately is also so interesting and so kind of far off from where we started with Riku and Risa that I was like, what's going on with her? And Mm -hmm. then when it was all revealed, I was like, this is incredible. Here I was thinking she was just a zany character, but actually she is a zany doll that made some wild character choices in (laughs) infiltrating this school. And I just, I thought it was, I thought she was very interesting, if not... As I've as we said multiple times so far, very problematic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With her foreign coding, there's a lot of interesting choices made as far as the, you know, Japanese voice actress, it's very similar. So like when we get to see her in her like kind of real self, she definitely speaks very differently, a lot more serious and stuff. So we know something is up pretty much right away as soon as we start seeing those kinds of little uh, images of her. But yeah, it's a very interesting choice especially in terms of character design I think is like the main thing that really that I struggled with with just like her character in general because she is unique to this series right she's not in the comic at all so it's an interesting choice to to kind of make this kind of character and like I really wonder why they decided to add this character because it's not like she was necessary ultimately but she definitely is you know very important to the second half of the series in a lot of ways but it is just yeah it's a wild ride when she's around (laughs) for sure (laughs) and I can understand the other characters being frustrated by her and I also need to point out that episode 14 is another big deal because this is when um, Daisuke is uh, drowning and Satoshi has to give him CPR which was uh, very interesting (laughs) that's one I remember very much like episode 14 (laughs) stuck with me and I think I remember the character because 
of like her being this kind of like representation of a foreign coded character in a Japanese series. And it was like one of the first ones, uh, first kinds of that character I had seen really in Japanese media. So it was, yeah, a very curious thing for me, for sure. She's a lot, but in a in an interesting way. She's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the CPR got me. I remember sitting there being like, oh, man, Daisuke is just, he is going through it. He's had, he technically had his, uh, what I'm trying to remember was... Dark kissing Riku, his first kiss? I think so, yes, technically speaking. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, technically, he's already had his first kiss with this girl that he's not even sure that he completely likes yet. And, the, well, he starts, I think by this point, he started to like her, but not yet. Right. And then his first, like, kiss, quote unquote, as Daisuke is with Hiwatari, who really is oh god i love him i just love he's so messy he's so <laughs> <laughs> he just i don't know what it is about like stoic glasses characters in uh in shoujo anime i love them so much <laughs> because there's always that little weird bit of not even w- little there's just there's always a huge queer coding with them because mm-hmm. i even think to um something like oran high school host club which is another one of my favorites how like Kyoya and Tamaki are kind of queer are kind of coded to be in this very weird queer relationship with each other um i think it just goes back to these rival characters are always just gay for the main character in some way, shape, or form. They always are. <laughs> I love it. And that's what I love about him so much. He clearly has a lot of pent-up feelings about Daisuke hmm. that he is kind of refusing to acknowledge. Yeah, it's interesting. Um And this is also kind of the beginning of what I think also resonated with me in the series is like the other girls at school, like aside from the ones that are interested in Daisuke, of course, are all like, oh, my goodness, like what's going on with these two? Like they're they're definitely shipping the boys. It's very funny. And that comes up later. So it's like I think that also resonated with me of like it's not just like, oh, this is like a subtext scene. This is like subtext and characters within the series are reading the subtext as well um which was really fascinating yeah so yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and then you know like the second half of the series definitely gets more and more like really heavily into like a lot of details with um the romance and stuff again like this from the beginning like Niku and Nisa are, are kind of going in opposite directions regarding their feelings and, you know, Risa is is very, very gung-ho about her feelings towards Dark and is very sure that, like, this is real and this is what she wants. Things get a little bit more complicated because it turns out that Dark did used to love someone before. Um, and this is something that is revealed after they kissed, which is a lot. But apparently the only woman he has ever loved was Risa and Riku's grandmother, Vika, which is... <sighs> A lot. Um, again, the drama. <laughs> so, you know, she is the one who figures that out and she kind of has to deal with that and like accepting what that means and like how that means that probably, yeah, that's not going to work out with them. Like she keeps saying she doesn't care that he dated her grandmother, which is like, girl, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, you know, because again, she's a, she's a teenager. You know, it is a, a lot of just 
that like her trying to deal with those feelings and what that means and if she can get over dark and if so like you know she's trying to figure out a lot of stuff and also at the same time she still doesn't know who dark really is she thinks it might be Daisuke, but then is like, mm, no, Daisuke and Dark have completely different personalities. It can't be him. <laughs> and then, yeah, Riku at the same time is trying to figure out her own feelings for Daisuke. And Daisuke is realizing that, you know, he thought he was in love with Risa, but now as he's getting to know the both of them more, interacting with them more, he seems to be, you know, vibing more with Riku than he initially expected. But yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Riku and Risa are so fascinating to me because the way that their characters progress throughout the show is very is is very fun to me because yes Risa is Risa like you should care that he dated your grandmother <laughs> like you should care about that but there's also it feels like what they were going for was obviously Risa's feelings for Dark aren't that real mm. Like, she's enamored by him. She's not in love with right. him. And I really liked at the end when she was just like, I'm glad that you love my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she kind of accepts that she and Dark aren't going to be together, and that's okay because she doesn't necessarily need that. Mm -hmm. And she kind of, I don't know, I, I felt like Risa ended on a in like a much stronger place than when she began because she started as kind of like a typical sort of yeah I, I'm a, I, I love I want to fall in love I want to be this I want to be that and she does she doesn't really lose that but she gets kind of more realistic mm -hmm. to the point where I think close to the end she's the one that convinces Riku Daisuke is dark Niwa is dark they have the same intensity in their eyes and I'm just like that's so astute mm-hmm <laughs> that I and I thought it's so interesting that Risa is the one that sees that but of course it's her because she throughout the whole show was developing such a kind of close friendship with Daisuke and then kind of trying to insert herself into Dark's narrative and, you know Dark Dark was also he shouldn't have been hitting on her if he wasn't <laughs> going to do anything about it. Right. But I guess it's because she looked like her grandmother, which again, dark dude, like... Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> it's just weird to do, man. But I don't know. I liked Re I liked both Risa and Riku a lot, especially because Riku is one of those characters that I always vibe with because she starts out very much like, I'm not like my sister. I'm not like this. I'm very, they're obviously meant to be like opposites of each other mm -hmm. who are still really close. And then Risa kind of grounds herself by the end and Riku kind of learns to let herself kind of feel those romantic feelings that she's really pushing against throughout the, throughout until, until they get together, which is also much earlier than I anticipated. <laughs> Yeah. Which was so wild to me because I remembered back in the day being like, man, I wonder when they're going to get together. But then I was watching, I was like, wow, they're getting together already because they get together and they are together for a large chunk of the second half of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Episode 18 is when, you know, they first like finally, you know, this is also like, Again, Mio's shenanigans, I do think, are catalysts for this as well. But Riku, through a misunderstanding, she kind of, like, runs off at the end of that episode. And then Daisuke is, like, able to express his feelings for her. And 
they're like, oh, my God, we both like each other. Uh, okay, so <laughs> let's enjoy the beach. <laughs> like, it's really kind of cute. You know, it's very much like, you know, your first love. Like, I think it happens to a lot of people, right, where it's like, okay, you like someone for the first time and they actually like you back. You don't even know what to do with yourself at that point. You know, you know, you weren't ready for it. So it's it's just very cute. They're so dorky. Um, it's really great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I think that this show works because there are some absolutely bonkers bits, but there are these moments where they really capture something that is super, super relatable. Like that whole moment where they're on the beach, I was like, man, I remember telling my first crush that I liked them and it was like, we were very cute about it and very shy and very awkward because we didn't, you know, we're like kids who've never done anything before, so we don't know what's going on but they're just kind of vibing together. <laughs> what I think is so successful about this show is when it really hits those kind of universal moments of adolescence and of kind of growing up and getting in touch with your emotional self. And I think mm-hmm. Riku and Daisuke's kind of relationship throughout the entire show really kind of hits all those buttons for me. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's really fun to see them you know, together. And it's like... It's very interesting, and this is such a, a thing where it's like, you know, they don't really tell anyone else. Um, so, like, not even Risa knows, which is so wild, because you would think that they would yeah. you know, talk to each other about something like that. So, for a while, it's just kind of like this interesting secret as they're trying to figure stuff out still. And then, you know, the next episode, we get into the school play, which is Ice and Snow. And this is apparently is a legendary romantic story in their town and the the girls have all decided in the class that they just have to cast the boys as all the characters and make it like more traditional and so that therefore satoshi and uh, daisuke are going to be the prince and princess of the play and it's very funny because it's like <laughs> from then on all we see are like them trying to interact and the girls being like oh my god it's so incredible like they're so cute <laughs> together and it's like oh my god <laughs> again like it's such a fascinating um thing like especially because it's like at the same time Daisuke is actually dealing with like maybe having a girlfriend for the first time and not knowing what to do with himself so it's it's very fascinating again so much happens in this show it's really incredible <laughs> yeah I remember I watched it I was like I want to know which one of these little fanfic writers in this drama <laughs> club was just like, you guys know what we have to do? We have to get Hiwatari and Niwa to kiss on stage. And I know exactly <laughs> how we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's just so, it's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause usually in these kinds of narratives, you would think that like the rival or the love interest would get to play the like, maiden character right in a framing device but then he would tar- wait who who gets the parts is he watari the maiden character or is daisuke the maiden character um yeah i believe satoshi hiwatari is the um yeah i believe he's the princess yeah probably, yeah and I, I i loved it i was like what are they trying to tell me here what is going on with what am I supposed to feel about the relationship between Hiwatari and Daisuke? I because I, I it was so it was such an interesting choice, and I loved every second of it. I loved the um, reporter kid 
who's like the child of the police chief also just getting really into it and wearing his costume and just trying to direct everybody and get everybody to take the play seriously. It's very, it's just very good. I love the plot line of the, uh, of like ice and snow and the second hand of time. They really hit a bunch of really cool marks in these last few episodes. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very well put together, all things considered, because, yeah, we get this this story, this, like, kind of tragic love story. It's very similar to Romeo and Juliet, but isn't actually Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the episode uh, 20 is, is more about, like, actually getting into the story and knowing, like, what it's about and everything. And, yeah, it's trying to make sure we cover everything that happens at the end of the series, because it's so much. Yeah. There's so much that happens. <laughs> yeah, because then, you know, episode 20 is also when Niku gives Daisuke the pendant that she was gifted by Mio and leads to Mio's sacrifice and everything. It's just so much uh, with these characters. Yeah, Mio sacrificing herself, I thought was really nice for Mio's character because it's... To me, it like it sucks that she has to sacrifice herself, but it was nice to see her exert some kind of bodily autonomy. Yeah. Considering that every other moment she's been trying to do something, it's just been Kiwatari's dad being an absolute nightmare man and just being like, I'll just destroy you if you don't do this for me. Right. Then that absolutely wild moment. I think is it it's on it's either the last episode or the second to last episode where she is able to leave the pendant that she like locked herself in by combining like dark style with both Risa and Riku was a lot for me in the moment to process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on there and yeah, it's like Again, she's such an interesting kind of character to have because, like, she doesn't need to be there, but she does really push things along um, as far as the plot goes. And, you know, despite the fact that she's not there for a huge amount of time, like, you do miss her by the end. It's like, well, she, you know, she was doing her best to um, to have any sense of yeah autonomy, you know, like you said. So it's, it's just, um, it's, you know, it's tragic, but it's also just, like, yeah, very nice. And you kind of feel for her by the end there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then we have the whole thing with, you know, the after that is kind of the beginning of the end with the painting of, you know, this like snowy place and everything. And uh, he had given it to Riku, if I recall correctly. You know, it, it's at the Harada's house. And so... It's very important to Riku as a as a gift from her boyfriend, and they don't understand that like, hey, dark is well. First thing they don't understand, dark is Daisuke, but also it's like you know he has to he has to rescue Daisuke, and yeah, it is this interesting thing where we get into we go inside the painting, which is like a yeah. new thing, just <laughs> blue skidoo in there, and um, <laughs> and so this is kind of like the main setting for most of the rest of the show and it turns out it's connected to the ice and snow story which is actually called ice and dark the original edition <laughs> it's very funny to think about because like they had only introduced this story a few weeks prior and then it's like oh that was the the sugar-coated version this is the real story 
so Daisuke meets a girl named uh, Free Dirt, Free Delt. I don't actually know how it's. It's yeah, I think it's Free Dirt. Yeah, it sounds a little weird. Like the I guess for yeah. me, Free Delt sounds a little better, but you know, it's it's like kind of a Germanic name in any case. And uh, she had been waiting for Elliot, who was her long lost lover. So like they are the characters of the story. So Dark has to search for this uh, this sword, the Wedge of Time. It belongs to the Hiwatari, so it's like everything is connected. It's a lot, again. And uh, yeah, we get like a battle uh, between Dark and Krad for everything. Daisuke doesn't really want to leave the painting quite yet after everyone is, you know, struggling to to get to him. And he stays behind. He like lets everyone else go off without him so he can stay behind and help this girl. And Satoshi goes so far as to repaint the painting in order to rescue him which is a lot again um the but yeah absolute the drop of one not only can satoshi paint yeah but he is also able to look at paintings remember them perfectly and recreate them in seconds is absolutely it's wild and it's the only time it ever comes up in the show it's right <laughs> here at the end yeah, it's very convenient. Um, <laughs> but it's it's very funny because it's like, yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine, like, obviously people who can do not necessarily like counterfeit paintings, but like, like imitations of paintings. That is a skill that some people have. But to have that as a teenager, incredible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's also like so intense as, uh, you know, these two items that are actually these two people like come together inside the painting and everything. And so that's like kind of the, you know, that, that helps to complete the story. And it turns out that everything is okay. So Daisuke can finally leave. And yeah, like the last two episodes, like, as if there wasn't already enough happening, the last two episodes are like a huge disaster is about to happen and everyone's escaping. And yeah, it leads to like trying to connect between, you know, Riku and Daisuke, of course, because of course they want to see each other. But like Daisuke is busy because he has to do dark stuff. And uh, yeah, it uh, it all ends up tying together to the Hiwatari family artwork, the Black Wings, and the legend between them we finally get at the last episode and yeah it's it's a lot again <laughs> yeah the amount of deep lore that we get that gets thrown at us that we then have to process in order <laughs> to continue forward is is wild because the fact that dark and crad exist because they are both like living curses that the hiwatari put on the black wings just like all the other pieces of artwork and that the reason that they exist and that they oppose each other is because the niwa family interrupted the person who made the black wings and caused the actual curse to split off and like infect their dna each of their the family's dna mm-hmm. is so it's wild, but I remember just being like, this is so wild that it's very easy for me to accept as fact. <laughs> because, of course, how else would there be a phantom thief that has been showing up generation after generation along with whatever Crad is? Right. Because he's not a phantom thief, but he's also not a phantom cop. 
So I don't <laughs> yes. know exactly what Krat is supposed to be. <laughs> just in the opposition, I guess. Uh-huh. I just, it was, it was wild to me. But also it works because the rest, it's not like the rest of the show isn't also bonkers in a really fun way. Right. It is a lot all at once. But, you know, you do have to get all that stuff in there at the end. I do think that if you were to reboot the series, you would definitely, it could use some pacing changes. But, yeah. you know, otherwise, it's like, yeah, it's very interesting. And, you know, this series ends in a way with, you know, them sealing up Brad and Dark finally. And Daisuke also rescuing Satoshi. And realizing that Riku is the sacred maiden, which is like an important figure for the people who are dark. Um, and yeah, they just like, everything is like, okay, at the end and like the love worked out and Dark and Krat are, are gone. And it's just like, oh, okay. And we're done. <laughs> it's very, it's, yeah, it's again, a, a little sudden, but, um, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. When it got to the end in that last episode, it ended with just a kind of voiceover from Daisuke being like, yeah, Riku was my sacred maiden the whole time. And I was like, okay, <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, and then the credits rolled and I, and I kind of sat there and I was like, wow, that was, it was so much. And it was because we spent so many episodes with the second hand of time and uh, the wedge of time that the last two, it felt weird to be doing something different from that. Yeah, that's fair. But again, like, I, th- it all felt weird, but it also, it really, it really hit for me. It really worked. Like, I, I, I walked away loving it mm-hmm. so much, especially much more as an adult, because uh, for these last two episodes, I really like Hiwatari's arc mm-hmm. in them. Like, there's this moment where... He thinks the only way that he can actually help is by essentially destroying his body mm-hmm. because he doesn't feel any kind of particular ownership of it because his dad has been actively forcing him to undergo this very painful transformation, it seems like, into Crad every time every time he wants to, basically, because Crad is apparently better at catching dark than Hiwatari, even though Hiwatari has come far closer to catching dark than Crad ever has in the entire <laughs> time, in all of his screen time. So having that moment where Daisuke, like, was also willing to sacrifice himself to save Hiwatari because he was like, no, you're my friend. I was like, yeah, sure, he's your friend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that, like, a lot of the stuff going on with regards to, like, these teen characters dealing with all these emotion, emotional things, and also, like, you know, the literal growing up when they become Dark and Krat, respectively, is, is definitely very reminiscent of a lot of Magical Girl shows. I mean, especially older shows where you had the children aging up into teenagers or what have you, but, like, even for something as simple as, like, a standard battle heroine show where... They don't necessarily grow up exactly, but they have a different form and it's like there's new responsibilities with this form and everything. So it is, um, there's a lot of Magical Girl stuff going on underneath the surface of the show, which could just have been like a, a simple fantasy or whatever. And, you know, also just generally phantom thieves have been twisting in and out of um, <laughs> Magical Girls for a little while. So Yeah, well, yeah. part of the reason that I brought this like to you I think I don't even remember when I actually sent in the the form but 
it was because when I was kind of trying to prep more for this um, game that my sibling and I are writing, I was looking through it and I was going through my memories and I had started kind of reading early volumes of the manga and I was like this is magical girl there's a transformation and it has such a strong focus on the kind of coming of age of all of these teen characters which is one thing that I really like about a lot of magical girl media like I've been watching like one of my favorite parts of of most of Sailor Moon is seeing how like Usagi is able to kind of grow and change into this really strong person who yes still cries all the time because that's just her mode of being but also being able to make these really informed emotional decisions for herself and for the people around her when she needs to Mm -hmm. I really like that and in this show I like Daisuke coming to terms with Dark as an entity and both of the and both of these characters Daisuke and Dark kind of learning how to accept each other and looking at that as this kind of acceptance of the idea of growing up and changing Mm -hmm. is something that I really liked. And it, what really resonates with me is with Hiwatari, how his almost seems to be this rejection of growing up because to me, Crad kind of represents everything that Hiwatari doesn't want to grow up to become because Crad is cruel he's callous he doesn't care about the well-being of anybody he only cares about his specific goal of taking down dark Mm -hmm. and you see Hiwatari fighting against that throughout the entire show to the point where he is actively just like Daisuke is my friend and I need to help him even though I'm never going to say this to his face, <laughs> I have to do something for him. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of my favorite kind of tropes that I've gotten really attached to in a lot of magical girl media that I've been kind of consuming. Because even like Little Witch Academia and Ojimajo, even, ugh, this is really old, uh, Magical Night Ray Earth, mm-hmm. which is also something that I've been watching with um, John, uh, just seeing these teens really come into their own as people in the mo- in the most fantastical and crazy ways i just i love it and i think that this show really encapsulates that specific aspect of magical girl media for me mm-hmm. which is why i really wanted to talk about it yeah yeah and you know i didn't hesitate at all to, when i saw that on the list like oh yeah no the an angel definitely I think especially because it is a girls series, I feel like that is part of why, like, despite the fact that it stars a bunch of boys, it like really feels like it's hitting on a lot of those similar topics and themes. So, yeah, it it was just like, oh, I've never thought about it in the kind of context of this, you know, genre before, but it makes total sense, especially when in comparison to what else was going on at the time in general with magical media. So, yeah. (laughs) Hmm. So we kind of briefly mentioned it a little bit, but just to kind of clarify with the the problematic aspects of the series, um, you know, I think that the main thing is like just the general relationship between Nisa and Dark, because Dark is like this kind of eternal being who is of an unknown age. It's like all of his interactions with Nisa are just pretty inappropriate. 
I think also within the series itself, like Daisuke is constantly kind of against Dark doing any of these things. And it's kind of unclear is like if, you know, Dark is just doing it to kind of mess with Daisuke or like because he actually genuinely has some sort of interest in Udisa again because she reminds him of her grandmother that he loved. But just like, yeah, generally, like the relationship dynamics are not good. And then um, the other thing of, again, being, you know, like the fact that it's even discussed in the show itself as like him having been in this kind of relationship or having had this romance two generations ago is like, girl, this is a big red flag. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's almost Twilight-esque in the way that it's presented. Sure. Because it's just like, Edward looks like a teen. Mm-hmm. but he is 117 years old like <laughs> there is a problem there and yeah and dark i think that in the beginning it was messing it was he was doing it to mess with daisuke and that's problematic in and of itself because don't don't use people like that right but then I think part of the reason that he was like, no, I have to be honest with this girl later, was he's just like, no, I'm not. I can't string her along. I'm only doing this because I have a thing for her grandma, and that is not cool of me to do. <laughs> so I have to break it off, which I mean, I guess Pat's on the back for Dark. Actually, no, he doesn't get that. He should have done it <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. I take it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's one of the bad parts. And then... Other than, like, Riku, a lot of the female character, like, the named female characters in this are not what I would call feminist icons. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Again, like, with, you know, Daisuke's mother, it's, like, kind of, like, the system itself is um, sexist, but also, like, I think that there could have been a way to write around that in a better way. And yeah, like Lisa, poor Lisa, like again, being strung along by dark and everything, it's not fair to her. And then, yeah, with, with Mio, especially like, you know, she is a literal doll being used to try to, you know, get at Daisuke and um, help win the fight, I guess. <laughs> and, it, and, you know, that's also a whole other thing because he was doing that without, satoshi knowing it all so it's like oh no what's going on here but yeah it's like this really it's a kind of unfortunate thing but i feel like it's also kind of a genre problem at the same time um when you're getting into relationships with stuff like drama equals like trickery and and so on so there's a lot of that for that reason i feel like if that makes sense yeah and that and that's what I felt too. These are definitely like genre trappings and I don't think there's any kind of ill will meant by them, nor do I think that um, anybody involved re- necessarily views women as the tools that they are used in the show. Right. But I think if there's one thing that I would, that I would really caution people about going into this, it is that aside from Riku, all of the female characters in this are kind of looked at and talked about as if they are tools to progress things further Mm -hmm. and not as actual people. Mm. Specifically, like, obviously Mio Hio is a big one. Like, the fact that she is literally a doll created by the Hiwatari family that is being controlled by Hiwatari's father is super intense. 
And I don't think they necessarily did enough to merit me feeling like she is, she kind of broke out of that because she still ended up sacrificing herself in order to allow Daisuke and Riku to be okay, which is right. nice. It's great that she did that. It still, it sucks. It's It sucked to me and I was really sad when that happened. Yeah. Um, because... Hashtag Miyohio deserve better. <laughs> and then, on a much deeper sense, in a more kind of subtle sense, is Daisuke's mom. Mm-hmm. Because her storyline, there is this level of she does find strength in what she perceives as her place in this family. But then, also, I think there is a moment where it is actually stated, like, she accepted that it was her job to birth the next phantom thief of the family. And that really, that cringed me out a little bit. I had to stop watching for a second after that. Because I was like, "Mm, no, you don't have to be. You really don't. Especially because I believe in the manga, Daisuke doesn't even transform into Dark to complete some of the heists. Hmm. So it's like, Dark is part of it. But, you know, he only really needs to be there to kind of purify these paintings and these artworks. You could be a phantom thief if you want to, gal. Like, you can. I swear. I think you'd be great at it. You're really cool. Because I love Daisuke's mom, but her and Miyohio, Risa is not... I wouldn't consider her... I don't think anybody ever necessarily used her. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't like the way Dark treated her. It was really... It was really strange. Right. But then again, also in the original... There is this whole kind of, like, love rectangle between the four of them where, like, Dark was in love with Riku and Daisuke was in love with Risa. And then I think the it was building to that switching and then Dark falling in love with Risa and Daisuke falling in love with Riku. So I'm glad that that wasn't the case in the show because I don't think that Dark should be in a relationship with any of these teenage girls. But yeah, it's just the, it's genre trappings. And I feel like it's just, it's a product of its time too. Like it, yeah, there are so many different terrible ways that women got treated in across all genres at this time. Mm-hmm. I just wish, <laughs> I just wish that at least Risa could have gotten a better uh, kind of ending for this. Cause she kind of winds up single the one person that she did like, it was just like, I love your grandma. I'm really sorry. Bye. <laughs> and he disappeared into a, pe- into a piece of art. And she's just kind of like, okay, well, I guess we'll see what the future holds. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes me sad for her. But maybe that's what she needs. She should just spend some time with herself. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think it's good to have some characters that like, they're interested in romance, but, like, in the end, they don't actually end up with anyone. I think that's fine. But, yeah, again, I think especially with how rushed the ending was with a lot of the lore and things, it just felt, like, very uh, very intense. And, like, we didn't really get enough time with any one thing in that way to, like, really, mm-hmm. you know, have it sit well with us, I think, as an audience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, is there anything else you wanted to talk about in general regarding Dean Angel? I don't think there's anything major I would want to discuss that we haven't already. I mean, we could dive a little bit more into 
Hiwatari, but even then, I feel like we've pretty much covered his entire character, which was being <laughs> in love with Daisuke. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, mm. I don't think there's that much more to say. <laughs> sure. Okay. Okay. Great. Then, in that case, I think we can go to our final question, which is, Shen, have you ever imagined a magical persona for yourself? <sighs> yes, I have. It's actually based around the uh, game that John and I are making because uh, we're also doing a little webcomic based off of it. Uh, it's called Troublesome Witches. Nothing's been like released officially yet, but mm-hmm. uh, keep an eye out for it. The way we have it is all of the witches there, are their names are based on magic words. Mm-hmm. So there's like... There's toil, there's trouble, and all those other kinds of witches. So I pictured having almost like a sci-fi themed character that is also a magical girl, where my name is uh, Nikto, which is based off like a science fiction uh, movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still. And they say this magic word to make the alien stop just trying to destroy the planet. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my name is Nikto. I have this really long, um, flowy kind of like maxi dress. And a really small hat on top of my head. All of my magic is themed like um, <laughs> Space Invaders, that really old video game. Okay. <laughs> um, and every time I do something, it my magic becomes pixelated and I shoot out these little uh, pellets at everybody. Um, and they make little video game sounds. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's my magical girl. My name's Nikto. And I'm big, I'm blue, and I make video game stuff real. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Okay, great. So thank you again for coming on the podcast. Uh, Where can people find you and follow you online to talk to you about Dean Angel and other Magical Girl series? Um, You can find me on um, Instagram. It's just my name, Shandy Smith. That's Shan with two N's. Um, and then, uh, my Twitter handle is Butterrum's Coffin. Uh, it's Butter and then Rums Coffin. It's an X-Men reference. That's my Twitter, just at that. And, uh, yeah, that's where I post a lot of, like, updates on stuff that I'm working on whenever I'm able to work on it. And I would love for people to come at me with their like deep memories of DNA Angel if you have them <laughs> because God knows I did when I sat down to watch this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely really excited to hear what other people think and, and so on. But yeah, so <laughs> thank you again for coming on and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Same. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. If you like what we do here, please subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show if you think they'd be interested. Those are the best free ways to keep the podcast going. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag SparklesideChats when talking about and sharing the podcast. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalGirlAyu, spelled A-Y-U, and you can find me at Ayushinos, A-Y-U, 
S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. You can also email us at sparklesidechats at gmail.com. Let us know if there's a topic you want covered or a person you want to hear as a guest by filling out the form in the show notes. You can also join the Discord for this podcast to talk about magical girls 24-7, often chatting directly with me and both previous and upcoming guests of the podcast. Look for the link in the show notes. Those show notes can be found on your platform of choice or at anchor.fm slash sparkleside. If you can support the podcast financially, you can buy me a coffee at co-fee.com slash ayushinos. You can also commission me for art there or buy a print on my imprint page. With the Kofi monthly membership, you can get bonus content, announcements about episode topics, a Discord role, and your name read aloud on the podcast. Another way to support us one time is by buying something off the Amazon Japan wishlist. This helps with getting more access to Magical Girl content that we can discuss in future episodes. Feel free to purchase from the use section as we're not picky here. If for some reason you can't figure Amazon Japan out, no worries. Feel free to send the money for it via Kofi and let us know what you want us to buy. Original podcast music is by Hazel. You can find her on Twitter at a few bruises. Thanks again for listening. And remember, you are magical. <laughs> <laughs>